0: It will arise as once before In ages past when magic soared Passing o'er the world shore to shore The wind, the fury, again shall roar Welcome to the Swan Song Podcast by Eamon Cottrell and Brian Stallings The Swansong Podcast is the episodic audiobook for the fantasy novel John Swansong and the Parada Isle Episode 7 John looked up into his paw's dark brown eyes, and the room seemed to twirl. His vision became blurred as he realized that tears had formed in his own eyes. He couldn't believe what he'd just heard. Surely it was a joke, a terrible joke. But after what he and Rat had seen that evening, John just shook his head in bewilderment. John, did you hear me? Rowan was looking at John with concern and a hand on one of John's shoulders. John, I heard what you said, but. John was exhausted from the frightful run and took another deep breath. He couldn't take any more shocking news. But what's so special about me? John's skin tingled. He was scared. It was almost like he couldn't breathe. He thought it felt a little like the sinking feeling in his gut when he stuck his neck out over the ledge on Bowdoin. He could never resist creeping out over the ledge and peering down the face of the mountain and out over the seas beyond. Despite the terror it sometimes brought, the rush of adrenaline made him feel more alive than anything he could imagine. Rowan looked at John for what felt like an eternity, their eyes locked. Rowan seemed older to John than he ever had before. John noticed lines in the skin around his paw's eyes, and something else he had never seen in that face before. Fear. Seeing fear in his father's eyes made John more afraid than he had ever been in his life. Finally, Rowan spoke. John, we were never sure you'd be able to stay here forever. He started slowly. You know that as well as I. The circumstances that brought you here were too incredible, too amazing to be happenstance. Abram and I have always feared your past might come looking for you. Phineas, the man who rescued you today, has been searching for you for several years. His story is not mine to tell, and I know only a bit of it anyway. But... What is very clear to me is that you're no longer safe here. Rowan broke off and searched the heartwood ceiling for how to go on. It's somewhere between a miracle and sheer luck that you've stayed hidden this long. The storm outside battered against the sides of the fishhook, and lightning flashed several times. John had always kept questions of his parents out of mind and over the years had begun to believe that he'd always been destined for life on the Brie. He'd look forward to having his own fishing skiff one day, and truth be known, he'd fantasized about sailing it off into the vast escondo like a pirate ship. Now that the truth seemed at hand, he was having trouble believing that someone really knew where he had come from. And much more than that, it appeared. Was he ready to leave the only home he'd ever known behind? The way Rowan was carrying on, John thought he might not have a choice at all. He looked up, realizing that he'd been lost in thought as Rowan continued. He's made that very clear. Really, it's the luck of the wind that they've docked today. The walkers would have made short work of us without a parada. Rowan shook his head and took another sip of cider. A parada, John thought. He figured Phineas was a magi or wizard of sorts, but it felt all the more surreal to hear the truth. Rowan saw John's excitement and quickly cautioned him to calm down before he could turn to Rat and start talking about how all the stories were true. First things first, John. We've got to focus on getting off of Labrie. He gave John a serious look and then leaned closer before continuing. That much is clear from what I've seen and heard from Abram and Phineas. There's no denying the power of the paradas, but something about him makes me nervous. Abram's said much the same, and he's been with him since Port de Twin. Reality settled over John like a damp towel. He knew he'd be safer with Phineas after what he'd seen him do, but despite where he had come from originally, Labrie was all John knew. Rowan may not have been his father, but he might as well have been. He'd raised John from before John could walk, never hiding the fact that his parents had passed away and John had been entrusted to his care shortly after birth. Yes, John's parents passed away, but this was the first time he'd been told he'd been born elsewhere. Yes, he often wished that a distant relative would track him down, but not in his wildest dreams would he have imagined that both monsters and a parata would find him in the same day. Yes, he'd always dreamed of sailing off with Abram on the jasmine, but now that that was about to happen, he felt a deep urge to stay. This was his home, and he'd never left it before. Before he could say anything more to Rowan, Phineas burst through the door and threw back his cowl. Come now. We must hurry. There are more than I suspected. He looked at Rowan. They're using the wind castle, and they're still pouring out. The first wave's going through the town now. John's first impression of Phineas in the alleyway had been one of supernatural strength, size, and character. The dark robe that cloaked him had added to his tough appearance, and the calm with which he dealt with their attackers was both unsettling and awesome. Now, after having the chance to slow down for a few moments and gather his thoughts, John looked at the man in the doorway with fresh eyes. Perhaps it was the firelight flickering off the walls and illuminating Phineas's figure. Perhaps it was that his face was no longer hidden in shadows. John could see now the man for what he was. He was flesh and blood, after all. John had expected to see long, thin strands of gray or white hair, and an aged face like all the images of paradas in his mind from the stories. But the man in front of him was young, vibrant, and full of life. He seemed to be floating above the ground. There was such an energy around him. Instead of white hair, Phineas's was brown, like John's. And when he caught John's eye briefly, John was taken aback at the intensity and strength that he saw. John! shouted Phineas again. We have no time. Come now! John saw flickers of fire in his eyes. Rowan grabbed his shoulder, nudging him toward the door. Finally, he snapped out of thought and began to follow the men. Halfway there, though, he stopped. Wait, where's Rat? John looked around the room frantically. He'd been so engrossed in Rowan's conversation that he'd forgotten about Rat. Rowan appeared surprised to find the room empty. He must have slipped out back with Baru, But we've no time to wait, John. Let's go. Rowan put his hand on John's shoulder again, and they turned back to the open door, just as footsteps pounded on the porch outside. Phineas shook his head and took a step further into the room, planting himself between John and the open door. He looked at Rowan gravely and said simply, Get back. The footfalls came quickly, and Phineas rose up to his full height. He held out his staff. As soon as this one is cleared, follow me. You must not hesitate. I can deal with a handful at a time, but not the swarm altogether. Movement flashed in the doorway, and Phineas's staff shot out with blinding speed. John thought he heard something muttered under his breath, but it was quickly stifled with a crack like thunder as the air around John was once again sucked toward Phineas, right before a whirl of wind shot from his outstretched arm and through the doorway, and out into the night, hitting nothing. John's head throbbed as it had in the alley, and he grimaced in pain. "'Ugh!' Rat screamed as he fell on the ground. The force of whatever energy that Phineas controlled, combined with the terrifying scenario he'd run back into, had knocked him off his feet. What are you shooting that at me for? He yelled. Fool boy! Phineas boomed. Be thankful I expected something much taller to round that corner. Now, everyone must come. That will have given our hiding spot away for sure. We can only hope the jasmine is ready for us. He flew out the door. John helped his friend up, his eyes wide. "'You could have been killed. Where did you run off to?' He knew the answer even as he asked. As the rat rose up, John saw the heartwood staff that he'd fallen onto. He'd run all the way back to their hideout to grab it, as well as some other knives he had tucked in his belt while John had been talking with Rowan. Rat grinned at him, energized by the action, and held up the staff. Figured this might be useful now that we're in a real adventure. They both ran out the door following Phineas, and Rowan brought up the rear. It was still raining, though not as hard as earlier. John and Rat put up their hands to shield their eyes as they ran. Rowan was too busy keeping guard to protest Rat's presence other than the stern look he gave him after pouncing through the hook's doorway. Rat, what are you talking about? "'You're not mixed up in any of this. "'It looks like I've got to go with them, "'but if I were you, I'd head back home. "'I don't think they'll bother anyone else "'once they see that we're leaving.' "'John sounded more confident than he felt. "'If we make it to the ship,' he added under his breath. "'Rat shook his head at John. "'You've got to be kidding me. "'For once, some real action comes around, "'and you think I'm going to go home and go to bed? "'Come on, John.' This is what I've been waiting for. They rounded the corner and shot off down Merchant's Row. There were shouts and all sorts of strange sounds muffled in the wet night air. The danger makes it that much more fun. And you know I ain't got nothing back home. He won't miss me, and I won't miss him. Little getaway is exactly what I've dreamed of. John couldn't argue with that, and there wasn't time anyway. Everything was moving at double speed, and he couldn't keep anything straight. Phineas was hurrying on ahead. So, with a shrug, John sprinted after the mysterious Parada, followed by Rat holding his carved heartwood staff, and Rowan scanning all around them for signs of pursuit. The area around the docks was shrouded in a dense fog, and it began to rain harder as they approached Danvid's booth. The village kept torches burning all night along the shoreline to light the way for the anglers and sailors who went to and from the docks after hours. Mainly it was for eelers who stalked their prized and elusive prey in the dark pre-dawn hours of the morning. John wasn't sure if he was glad for the torch's eerie glare or not. They had a small dome built over each one, far enough overhead to avoid catching the wood on fire, but not close enough to keep all of them entirely free from stronger rains. As it was, one in four had been snuffed out by the wind and the rain already. Everywhere his gaze fell, he was sure he saw movement in dark corners and shadows between the booths and buildings of Merchant's Row. Phineas stopped ten feet in front of John and motioned for him to do the same. He stopped quickly and rat-bumped into his back. "'Hey!' Rat started, but John hushed him and ducked down. Rat hunkered down beside them, and they watched Phineas surveying the area behind two booths. Rowan joined them, and John pointed where Phineas was looking. They heard jumbled noises behind the shops. It was muffled behind the patter of rain on the wooden docks and the dirt paths, but they could still make out doors opening and shutting.' Further away, they could hear shouts in the night air. John was surprised that if there really were as many of the beasts as Phineas claimed, they hadn't caused more of an uproar in the town. Come to think of it, it didn't take much more than a scuffle in the fishhook for the town horn to be blown. He couldn't believe that no one had raised the mare. He looked up the hill at the far side of the row to where Tallis's house stood. As if he could read John's thought, Rowan said, They came in yesterday through the Windcastle, and haven't made much noise yet. I bet Talus is still sleeping. We could have sent someone to rouse him, but Phineas wanted us to make as quiet an exit as possible. Rowan's expression made John think he didn't entirely agree with Phineas's decision. He thinks once you're gone, the Tidewalkers might leave the town alone. Phineas hissed at the three of them to be quiet and started making way to the jasmine again, this time crouched down. John felt a thickness in the air and tried to tell himself that it was just the rain and the fog and his nerves, but the more he tried to shake it, the worse it got. He paused for a moment to catch his breath and realized he was wheezing. Phineas looked back and saw them stopped and huddled around John. Rowan put his hands around his throat and indicated that John couldn't breathe. Phineas darted back toward them, all the while keeping his eyes and ears trained on the line of buildings. "'He can't breathe. What's happening?' Ratchus stood aside wide-eyed as the two argued, and his friend struggled at each breath. He was breathing, but it was clear that each gasp took a lot out of him. Phineas took John's arm and looked him square in the face. I was afraid this might happen. He put his hand over John's forehead and muttered something softly in his ear. John thought he saw his eyes brighten a moment, and then he realized the tightness in his chest had lifted some. Enough to carry on, at least. He started to thank Phineas, but Phineas just said, Later. Oh no, Rat hissed, pointing up the dock. Before either adult could admonish him, they saw the shadow he was pointing at. But it wasn't a shadow. Near the far edge of the dock, moving straight toward them, was a line of tidewalkers, stretching from the water's edge to the front of the booths on the south side. They could just make out the individual shapes as they drew nearer, sloshing in the rain. Apparently, the walkers hadn't spotted the group yet, but it wouldn't be long. Damn! cursed Phineas. I was hoping to get to the ship first. The four of them half ran, half crawled toward the closest building and ducked around the corner. Phineas looked at each of them to make sure he had their full attention. You must do exactly as I tell you. Everything depends on it now. We must get John on that ship. They're after him and we'll stop at nothing to get him. "'If we can make it to the ship and fend them off, we'll be safe. "'They're faster in water than on land, "'but we can outrun them in the jasmine. "'But we must get to the ship first, and that will be difficult. "'The ones going through the buildings back there,' he motioned over them, "'are scouts. "'I had thought, foolishly, that those were all we'd be contending with. "'Had I known their true numbers?' I would never have detoured to the inn. He stopped to think for a moment before continuing. Rowan, this will be difficult, but I need you to distract them. It will only need to be for a moment, but it must be enough to get them to move toward you and let their guard of the docks down long enough for me to get John through their lines. There's no way to know how they'll react if they overtake you. They've no reason to harm you, but these aren't rational creatures. "'Their only concern is their master's bidding. "'They're bound to see it's a bluff soon, "'and when they turn on us, "'you can loop around and join us on the jasmine. "'It's risky, though. "'You may get cut off.' "'Phineas looked at Rowan "'as the gravity of what he was asking set in. "'In other words, "'go make some noise so they'll attack you instead of us, "'and they may or may not rip you to shreds "'once they see John's not with you.' "'Rowan nodded and surprised John with a grin.' Piece of cake, he said. We'll regroup in no time and be on the high seas before we know it. It'll do us some good to get away for a while. He looked at John as he said this last bit. Standing, he put his hand on John's shoulder and winked at him. Stay with Phineas, John. You'll be safe with him. And before John could respond, Rowan bounded off. John! Other than his fiery eyes, Phineas seemed calm. No matter what happens. We must get on the jasmine. There is someone who thinks you hold the key to what he is after, and the walkers will overpower everyone here, including me, to get to you if we don't make it on board. John nodded slowly and glanced at Rat. He shrugged. What key? Rat asked. Phineas ignored the question. What's your name, lad? He asked after looking around the corner at the walker's position. They were fifty yards away now, and thankfully moving very slowly. Apparently they didn't get in much of a rush until they spotted whatever it was they were after. Nathaniel? Rat whispered as he met Phineas's gaze. He blinked and then shook his head as if snapping out of a dream and quickly said, "'But you can call me Rat.' "'Very well, Rat. If you're coming with John, you should know that you won't be safe.' I'll be doing my best to get John on board safely, and if you can stay close, you should be able to get there as well. But know that if I have to help one of you, it will be John. To Phineas's credit, the boys could tell that it pained him to have to warn Rat. Before Rat could say anything, Phineas continued, Now, both of you look around the corner. The boys crept close to the edge of the building and peered toward the harbor and the approaching horde. It was still sprinkling and it seemed to be picking up force the closer the Tidewalkers came to their hiding place. John could tell what Phineas's route was going to be before he spoke again. There were always a few barrels and wagons left on the harbor's walkway from the previous day's business. It often made more sense to just leave the wagons here rather than bring them all the way back to the merchants' houses. Many of them were bigger than a man could pull himself, and if there was no need for it back home, they'd just leave them here for days. Some of them, in fact, never did leave the harbor. All they were ever used for was bringing cargo to and from ships. Phineas pointed at two barrels, more or less side by side ten yards from them, in the middle of the walkway. He seemed surprisingly calm to John when he said, We will be spotted, but we must strive not to be for as long as possible. Every step will matter. As soon as Rowan gets their attention, and he won't get all of them, run to those barrels. Wait only long enough to breathe once. Then, sprint to the edge, he pointed. There, do you see that torch? It felt like he had a fistful of dirt stuck in his throat. John just nodded. His eyes were wide as he looked out at the walkway and saw the torch that Phineas was pointing at. It flickered in the night air as the wind swirled past it in cold gusts. The winds poured over John and the fear that had first gripped him in the house threatened to overwhelm him again. He shot a glance at Rat, making sure that he wasn't the only one this afraid. He wasn't. Phineas saw their apprehension and spoke soft but firmly. It will be over quick, but you must keep your wits about you. But they'll get us, complained Rat. Why don't we run up Bowdoin? We'd have a better chance at getting away. He looked to John for support, but John just stared at Phineas. You've no idea the forces that would pursue you up that mountain. If this host is here already, there's no telling how many more could be summoned, and quickly. Phineas gestured toward the jasmine. Our only chance is that ship. He stretched his arm out toward the torch closest to him and whispered a word that John didn't make out. A wisp of wind snuffed out the blaze immediately. The only other torch between them and the jasmine was at the turn in the boardwalk as it extended out to the side of the ship. John assumed it was too far away for Phineas to do whatever it was that he was doing with the air. That will give us a little cover, but we should assume they'll see us as soon as we come out from here. John, no matter what happens, and no matter what is in your path, you must keep running to the ship do you understand? He turned to Rat before John had a chance to respond. If you value your friend's life, see to it that he gets on that ship. Rat nodded. And then there was chaos. A boom shook the wall they were leaning against and the very ground they stood on The entire harbor was lit in a blinding flash of yellow light that seemed to come from behind the Tidewalkers. Phineas looked as surprised as the boys, but he wasted no time regaining his senses. Now, go! Another flash illuminated the entire harbor for a split second. Rat grabbed John's arm and said, Come on! What about you? cried John. I'll help draw them away. "'Go!' "'They shot out from the side of the building. "'The rain beat down on their foreheads, "'mixing with sweat and beating down into their eyes. "'John wiped his brow and inadvertently swiped a bit of sweat into his eye. "'He grunted with annoyance at the sting. "'The run was a blur. "'They fell down behind the barrels as another explosion ripped through the air "'before the bright light from the first began to fade.' There didn't seem to be anything on fire, just huge, bright, loud explosions. They rattled the pit of John's stomach. Rat shot a quick glance over the barrel and then lunged out toward the water's edge. John saw Phineas move out from cover and begin to stride toward the sea of tidewalkers. Was he crazy? John waved at him and started to yell something when Rat grabbed the collar of his shirt. What are you doing? didn't you hear him? Come on! He half-dragged, half-guided John out from behind the barrels. They made it to the edge of the walkway as the rain began to intensify. It came in sheets. They squinted, veering toward the boardwalk that would take them to safety. Or would it? What if they made it to the Jasmine but Abram and Tice and the rest of the crew were nowhere to be found? John pushed the thought out of his mind and focused on his legs. They didn't seem to be moving fast enough. Try as he would, the distance between the tide walkers and him was closing too fast. He saw many dark shapes fighting. A large part of the walkers were divided and pursuing whatever had caused those explosions, but there were plenty trudging toward them still, and a couple that had spotted him. Their scaly arms shot out and pointed at him and Rat. Together they let out a scream. It was awful. Fifty times louder than the one John had been confronted by earlier. He shuddered. His lungs burned for air, and he noted a stench in the air like rotten vegetables. It was a sweet piercing odor that hung in the air despite the intensifying rain. A crack of thunder boomed overhead, adding to the cacophony at the harbor. Rat was yelling something, but John's ears were ringing, and he could only make out one word, fire. Between the increasing howls of the Tidewalkers, the storm, and the mysterious explosions that continued to ring out, John wondered if he would ever be able to hear properly again. He shot a glance toward Phineas just in time to be blinded by another yellow blast. Before everything went white, he saw a huge orb of light expand out from a point somewhere amidst the crowd of Tidewalkers. And just behind their line, he could have sworn he saw Goth. John lost his footing after the flash. He fell and skidded on his palms and knees. He couldn't stop blinking. He feared for his eyesight, but more than that, he feared for Goth. What was he thinking coming down to the edge of a battle like this at his age? John wanted to run and tell him as much, but he knew that would be impossible. As his vision cleared, he resumed his sprint and hoped the best for Goth. He heard a massive hissing noise from behind to his right and saw the band of tidewalkers he had been worrying about get blown backwards several yards. The wind seemed to stun them temporarily, but, unlike in the alley, when there were only two to easily disperse, Phineas's powers were noticeably weakened against such a large number. John might make it to the turn in the dock now, but it would be close. Rat was ahead of him by several yards and hadn't noticed when John fell. There were too many things happening at once. As another three bright booms rang out among the Tidewalkers, John saw that they were not lethal blasts, unless one happened to explode directly on a walker. But they did spread out the walkers and create a good deal of confusion. Packs were cut off from the bulk of the hosts, but they were only small groups. He saw his knife sticking out of Rat's belt with the others Rat had gathered from their hideout and wished he'd gotten it back. He was gaining on Rat as he saw Rat make the turn onto the walkway to the jasmine. They might be all right after all. Once more, the sound of a torrent of wind shot out from nearby, and another several tidewalkers were shoved back. They weren't flung as far as the last time, though, and John saw Phineas out of the corner of his eye running toward the jasmine as well. Hurry! John yelled, "'but it was no use. "'He could barely hear his own voice "'in the whirlwind of rain, thunder, howls, and explosions. "'John made it to the turn "'and took off down the same stretch of the harbor "'that he and Rat had fled away from a few hours earlier. "'He'd almost forgotten about that little mishap "'and felt a new sinking feeling "'at the thought of having to face the Jasmine's cook again. "'He hopped up on the gangplank "'and vaulted over the side of the ship.' There was a flourish of activity already in motion once on board. The crew was untying ropes in some places and fastening them in others. Sails were being loosened and made ready for when they would next be needed. Someone from below deck shouted up that oars were in position and ready for use. John saw that the ship was almost ready to set sail, and he hoped Phineas would hurry up and regroup with Rowan and join them. There are so many... Rat wheezed, still bent over from the run. John nodded and looked out over the stern at the mass of creatures on the shore. Where was Phineas? John looked closer and saw only the dark shapes of the Tidewalkers in the light of the moon. No more yellow blasts. No more wind spells. No more torchlight. No Phineas. And no Rowan.